If you're looking for the next best thing to invest in, try investing in your long-term health with Forward. Forward is intelligent medicine with a personal touch. Their doctors are dedicated to catching top killers like cancer and heart disease early, which could save you tens of thousands of dollars in the long run. So invest in a doctor that's invested in you. Visit GoForward.com to learn more about how Forward can help you manage your long-term health risks for one flat monthly fee. That's GoForward.com. It's no secret that writing can be lonely work, but does it really have to be? Whether you're full-time, part-time, or just starting out, you'll get insights into the tricks, tips, and production habits of writers from every level of the biz. From best-selling authors to those launching their first novels, you're sure to be in the company of friends as we encourage great writers to divulge and share their secrets. This is the Great Writer Share Podcast with your host, best-selling author, Daniel Wilcox. Hello and welcome to the Great Writers Share podcast with me, Daniel Wilcox, where every week I hijack an hour or so of time from some of the kindest and hardest working writers around today to join me on the show and discuss everything that makes them tick, raw and bounce. Today's day is Monday the 17th of February. Um, I'm currently sat in my home study. I am a bit ill for those among you who have a bit of a keener ear. Um, my throat is packing in, but luckily that doesn't really affect the writing too much. Uh but what it is doing is, is forcing me to get into a period of rest. I have I have worked solidly for the last week or so um, ahead of having the little one over half term because there'll be a few days there in which I won't be working. Um, and that's one of the bonuses about having this kind of, of job. If you're Whether you're at this point, whether you're aiming for it, is having that flexibility to be there um, when you need to. And obviously spending more time with my son is going to be glorious. Um, but the re- resting is hard and it's something that... I know that I've always had quite a lot of problems with and one book that I've been listening to uh, on Audible recently is Ryan Holiday's Stillness is the Key. Uh, For anyone who's looking into ways to unwind, to get a new perspective, anyone who's kind of maybe anxious or just thinks they need to slow down a little bit, definitely check out that book. Uh, I've nearly finished it. I'm probably about 80-90% of the way through and it's a it's an it, it can be an eye opener for some people, I guess. Um, at the same time, it's a reminder for a lot of um, the things that I've definitely looked up and seen over the past couple of years. Um, and obviously, longer term listeners of this show know that I obviously went through a bit of a hiatus before Christmas, which was all about um, basically conserving my mental health, my mental energy over a busy period with other stuff going on. And I'm definitely a, a big proponent of taking rest and looking after your mental state, particularly if you're going to be spending a lot of time in the chair writing. So. Uh, Ryan Holiday's Stillness is the Key, and another one that I uh, I bashed out in two days, which I think is probably one of the, what word to use, probably one of the most um, impactful books that I've read in a while, and was recommended to me on uh, the brand new Great Writers Share Facebook group by Ali Ingleby, is Becca Symes, uh, Dear Writer, You Need to Quit. Um Contrary to its title, it's not about actually quitting. It's about understanding what it is that you're getting into this business for, trying to uh, basically figure out the reality and align it with the expectation of what you're trying to achieve with uh, a writing career. And it's definitely something that is adjusted a lot of the way that I'm looking at my projects I've got upcoming during this year, the reasons I got into writing in the first place. Um, Obviously, we all hit points where writing is harder than it normally is and you get points where sometimes it's easy as hell and it's brilliant and it's glorious um but this book really dives into the psychology of why that might be for you um 
the reality of not everyone has to be a full-time writer. And I know that's something that's pushed a lot in these podcast is oftentimes how to get to the point where you're a full-time writer and it's nice to have that choice between do you want to be a full-time writer or do you not but sometimes the reality is that you're just not a full-time writer and that's not a career that you want to plunge yourself into entirely so it's worth sometimes just taking a step back being reflective and seeing what that's all about um another thing i've been jumping into this week is i have been looking at a big rebranding project for something that i can't quite talk about yet but it's very exciting and uh, this week's guest is sort of perfectly timed because Meg Cowley, who is a USA Today best-selling author of fantasy, goes a lot into rebranding for authors, how to set expectations, build trust, cultivate your readers, and engage them in a way in which your brand extends beyond the initial design itself, but more into the relationships, the communication, and just the identity of who you are um, as a writer. So been using some of the resources that she's dropped in there. There's some links in the show notes and putting that into practice for one thing that I'll be revealing hopefully in the next couple of months, but which is uh, at the minute exceeding my expectations, which I'm very, very happy with. And there are some very exciting things coming forward for that. As mentioned a little bit earlier, the new Great Writer Share Facebook group is currently live. I launched it on, oh, what day is it? I think I probably launched it on Friday or Saturday. Um, and we've got a growing community of people jumping into the group, getting involved, chatting, sharing uh, their tips for being a writer um we're going to put some more stuff in there sort of like weekly questions going to drop some behind the scenes bits and bobs uh start doing the monthly giveaways um very very soon but i wanted to read one of our top tips this week which came from uh, jasmine plate who is actually one of our narrators for the other story so good to see you over there jasmine and uh jasmine says read and read widely my poetry mentor says the more you read and the more widely the more you start to sound like yourself also write 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 <laughs> so that's kind of two tips um both sort of as important as the other and it it seems like a tr- contrary thing to say the more widely you read the more you start to sound like yourself um but the reality of it is, of it is the more voices you consume the more you can see different patterns of how people write the more you get to play and see what works for you drop the bits that don't pick more of the things that do work and and that is how you develop your, your voice so definitely read lots and definitely read widely um I remember when I was beginning my journey into sort of horror writing, I I did dive into a little bit of romance. I dived into a little bit of a thriller. I kind of jumped all over the place just to see what else was going on really in in the world of writing so that I could look at unique ways to make the horror genre my own. And uh, I feel like in many ways that's kind of paid off over the years. So definitely read widely. And thanks, Jazz, for sending that in. Um, As I said, today's guest is Meg Cowley. And... uh, we go into author branding, we talk about business versus art, and we talk a lot about uh, making the muse your bitch, which is uh, definitely something that I completely agree with, how to force the muse to come and not have to worry about waiting for the right moment to get writing. Um, Meg is someone who I've been familiar with for a couple of years. We met in London last year, or last year, 2018, beginning of 2018, um, kept in touch ever since, and uh, She's someone whose journey I definitely enjoy watching. She's She's got it nailed when it comes to um, what it is she wants to achieve. She knows um, she knows the best ways to interact with her readers. She knows how to communicate with people. And like I mentioned a couple of times already, she's just got a brand that, that works. And there's a lot in here that you can uh, learn from, take note of, and uh, that will be coming up very, very shortly. One final note, no new patrons this week, but for anyone who wants to get more involved in the behind the scenes of the show, then you can just jump over to www.patreon.com forward slash share. 
Uh, there you can pledge your support to the show for as little as $1 a month. And with that, you get all the advantages like early access to episodes. You get priority questions for the authors. And you also get um, priority entries into the monthly giveaways. So check it out, www.patreon.com forward slash share and find all the fun over there. But without any further ado, let's get straight into the interview with the one and only Meg Cowley. Meg Cowley is a USA Today best-selling author of fantasy fiction. She lives in Yorkshire, England, with her husband, son, and their two cats, Jet and Pixie. Meg loves everything fantasy, magic, and dragons, and has been a writer and artist since she could pick up a pencil. Meg works best when fueled by Earl Grey tea, classic choice, margarita pizza, and characters who don't do what they're told. I think we can all, you know, have that. Uh, she's passionate about writing sweeping fantasies with characters that could step off the page and worlds that could be as real as our own. Meg, welcome to the show. Hey, Dan. That's hey, quite how's an it intro. Going? I know. I'm good, I, thanks. How are you doing? I'm doing well. I like the fact that um, I, I take a lot of the intro from people's about pages on their website. Yes. And you're, you're not the first person that's like, oh, that's quite an intro. I'm like, it, it, it's your own words and well-deserved. Quite obviously you, Yes. Yeah, you've got a, a lot going on there. Particularly, I like the, um, the part about the Earl Grey tea and margarita pizza. Yes. Uh, why are they your go-to things? Do you have any idea? Or are they just, you know, what? what um, I love carbs you? and tea. Tea is my lifeblood. <laughs> I can't write without tea. And I adore carbs. Cheese is good. Tomato is good. You know, mm. it's, it's good. Pizza is good. We cannot beat it, can we? No, it's a very, we, very we in fact thing. shared we shared a pizza the other week, didn't we? We which did. Was very nice. Yes, yeah. back in Nottingham. So me and Meg yeah. live relatively closely, and we met up and did a bit of a, an author gathering for people that follow us on social media. Yeah. Would have seen us hanging out a couple of weeks ago, um, and just being people as opposed to being the writers, which is a, a nice change. And I think that we've met each other yeah. at a couple of conferences over the past few years. We have, yeah. Um, and it was nice to, although we spoke a lot about writing, it was nice just to have a bit of fun. We went to an escape room. That was fun. Um, and yeah, yeah I think, you were definitely the expert. I was the one stood in the corner going, what on earth is this? <laughs> I disagree. When do we get to the pizza? <laughs> yeah, oh, where, where, where's the pizza coming from? Um, yeah. yeah, I think having those moments to actually hang out with other writers who are in the same sort of world and space that you are. I know yeah. that um, a lot of previous guests talk a lot about community, a lot about networking, mm-hmm, but I think mm-hmm. it's something that can't be um, overvalued is actually seeing people in person and getting to hang out. I don't know yeah. if um, you'd agree. Right. I fully agree because this is such an isolating career. I I love this job. It's incredible. And I love the community. But unfortunately, we are spread out to all four corners of the globe. And it's just, you just don't get the opportunity. So when we actually get to hang out in person, whether it's at conferences or we have meetups, it's just magic because it, there's this feeling of I'm not alone. I'm with my people. Um, I, I find that I've felt very different all my life and never really fit in and it's only sort of in recent years I've understood quite why and it's really nice to have a a community of people who are just like me equally as zany and weird um, (laughs) I'll take that as a compliment I hope (laughs) where do you find that you meet most of the author friends that you do have is it normally online or is it these sort of in-person interactions Uh, Facebook so um, 20 books to 50k SPF there where I've met pretty much most people um, and then it's branched off into um, so I have like a local group we met through SPF and then we hang out in person um, you know I've met people through the conferences and then stayed in touch with them little split off groups online you know of genre authors and, and we talk there and um, 
yeah, you just, you know, these little networks just grow. But the Facebook has been huge for me. Um, I don't really do any of the social networks. So that's proved a really great community. Fantastic. One, uh, one place I did want to start this interview, I've, uh, in doing some research about uh, your journey and seeing what I can sort of dig in before we get talking, I came across oh, a well, lot you of... You didn't find any skeletons in the closet, did you? I might find a few skeletons, a few zombies. Oh, uh, no. <laughs> I found a lot of colouring books that you have been yeah. involved in, you've uh, yeah. worked with and around. What is your connection to uh, colouring books, particularly for adults? So um, I, I've always been an illustrator. I was an illustrator before I was a writer. Um, and it was only once self-publishing sort of came to my attention that I realised that I could illustrate and self-publish that as well. Um, the adult colouring book craze sort of swept through and I basically jumped on the bandwagon. Um, and it was it was tremendous, tremendous fun. And it taught me a lot of things about publishing and the community and the business. Um, so that when the, tr- when the trend died out and I crawled back to my epic fantasy cave, um it, i sort of i uh, took a lot from from that with, with me um but I, I don't do it anymore this is kind of a long dead thing um i, I just do the the writing self-publishing now and i my illustration is more freelance and client-based work rather than publishing projects i can imagine so, it was yeah, difficult that's... to actually put those books together because the publishing process particularly for yeah. pictures was not easy yeah. back in no. back in the day um i mean create space has one type of paper so you're kind of stuck <laughs> with it and you can cultivate the the followers that are okay with using create space white paper but you know it's not the people who are going to waterstones and spending 20 pounds on like a thick stock paper coloring book and yeah so it presented a lot of unique challenges but again it was just a hugely hugely interesting and fun experience um but yeah i don't do that anymore and now Uh, yay my amazon author page is cluttered with coloring books that i can't (laughs) get rid of because i have tried Oh, that is one thing. Particularly if uh, if you're listening and you're you've not yet published a paperback, just know that the minute you do, you cannot get rid of them. They no, are, no. I, I assumed that they could just like delete them off your author page, but you cannot. So yeah. And it's a crappy excuse as well. What is, it's to do with uh, if people want to resell your paperback that they may or may not have purchased, even if you sold no copies, yeah. They, yeah. they keep the page open. But yeah, such as uh, Amazon, but. <laughs> Jumping forward um, a few years, you are a USA Today best-selling fantasy author, yep. which is yep. a an exciting label to have attached to your name. How did Life you dream? I, I I can imagine. I'm I'm yet to get there. <laughs> <laughs> but how did the how did the fiction side all start for you? Obviously, you sort of played around a bit with the publishing um, in terms of the coloring yeah. books. But where did the fiction start, and how did that really start kicking off for you? Uh, to be honest, I've been a bookworm since as long as forever. So writing stories seemed really natural. Um, I've always been really creative and imaginative so it, it just seemed like the natural thing that I wrote stories um, um I wanted to get one published who doesn't um who doesn't want to be on the shelves at Waterstones or you know Barnes and Noble or anywhere um, so I researched and it turned out that self-publishing at that time for me um was the best option so I self-published my book and I put it out to the world and nothing happened so, yeah, um, so that was when I learned about self-publishing. And then I went down the, the colouring book foray and had fun with that <laughs> and came back to it and just, I, I guess I just decided that I actually wanted to do something about it, like for real, for real. So I sat down and I just worked really hard, devoured everything that I could in self-publishing, followed the big blogs and the podcasts and all the rest of it. And, you know, fast forward a few years and here we are. So as easy as that it's just as simple as that what just were the what were the big changes that 
uh, occurred within the release of the first book, which did nothing, and the follow-ups where you said yourself you decided to sort of really put the muscle in, really start yeah. getting it down. What were the what was the mindset shift there? What what kept you going and pushing forward when that first book didn't do what you wanted it to? <laughs> Sheer desperation. <laughs> oh, <laughs> this is my third career and I'm 30. Um, so that's quite a lot of careers to have by the time you're 30. Um, I think I'm on three as and, well. Yeah, third mm. time's a charm though, right? So <laughs> yeah. We got there, yay. Um, <laughs> I just hated the other two and I just wanted to escape them from the misery. And it was seeing that it could be done, you know, after a lifetime of being told that you just can't be a writer, you can't be an artist. They are not jobs. For God's sake, just go get a degree and get a proper job like everyone else. You know, for having that rammed down my throat for so many years, now I actually saw people doing what I wanted to do. And it just, I guess for a, a pretty timid and towing the line kind of goody two shoes. I, I guess I just had an inner rebel that just went, oh, stuff this. I'm just not meant to be one of these normal people. I just want to do this. And it just lit the fire and I decided that I was just going to try my best. So ended up by that point, I was writing the third book, the final book in the series and um, ended up pulling everything and starting from scratch. So new covers, sorted my blurbs out, figured out how to market, built an email list, all the stuff that you do um, that's now really common and everyone knows to do it. But back then was like gold dust and we didn't know what we were doing, you know. In This was probably 2015, 2016. So indie publishing wasn't really that huge at that point. Um, and, and that just really helped me springboard into joining this amazing community meeting people finding these fantastic opportunities and that's sort of led to everything that's happened since and and it's just been a case of knuckling down and working my butt off you know it's like there are times where I've worked 40 to 60 hour weeks and I've made less than a dollar an hour but those have been the times that I needed to get through to get to where I am now um and I feel really lucky to be where I am now for sure um but yeah it's taken hard work and also trying to to be smart about it as well um, and, and realizing that a book is half a creative process and half this lovely you know story and narrative that's moving and entertaining and all the rest of it and it's half a product and it's a product that's supposed to make money and you have to be able to leverage it and it's it's really strange this this split of you know the the creative heart and the business brain but I found that really trying to separate the two and focus on both of them has, has been really helpful particularly in the last year or two in shifting from the oh I'm just you know writing lovely stories to this is my livelihood this is providing for my family as well as I love writing stories. Was it did you always look long term and think yes I'm going to make it or were there steps along the way where you were close to giving up? Um, I think there are certainly times that it's been challenging and, you know, when you look at putting in, say, 40 to 60 hours a week and that month you come out with $200, there is a mm. part of you that looks at your friends who are driving nice cars and have their fancy jobs and, you know, the big house and all the rest of it. And, and their lives are perfect, um, which is all we see on social media, of course. Of and, course. you know, I would be lying if I didn't say at those points I wondered what on earth I was doing and had I made a colossal mistake. But I had this conviction inside that I just didn't want to give up because what was the alternative? The alternative is going back to a day job that I hated 
any job it doesn't really matter what it is just working for someone else doing literally anything is it's just not really a kind of existence I want to live um it just it made my soul kind of gray and colorless and I just didn't have any joie de vivre and you know this is the thing that lights my soul on fire this is what I love to do so there was never any question of giving up it was always a case of I have to make this work there's no other way so just make it work and I've done whatever it took to do that you know I've had at the start I had a part-time job before I went full-time I've done freelancing on the side I've just done whatever it's taken to make it happen yeah I think it's uh it's something that I've always tried to understand along my own journey is when like you say you're you're working full-time part-time however many hours you're working then you've also got this this side hustle and that's accommodating hours and hours of your time and you mm-hmm. have those days where you're not seeing that reward I think yeah you always hard. it's always hard to justify why you're doing it but it yeah. was a, it was similar for me there was never a question of stopping because yeah. it was just, I guess maybe it's a calling like this is just what mm. I'm meant to do it's just got to work yeah and I think it's something that particularly new writers have to uh, understand is there is going to be that long mm. sort of journey along the way obviously yeah. varying levels of success depending on what you're doing but yeah. You really need to be invested in in committing to making it work, and it's not just a quick thing yeah. that appears. But once no. it does, it's it's beautiful. It is incredible, yeah. And you know, there was something that popped up on my Facebook memories today from seven years ago, and it was me being like a little angsty twenty-something year old, <laughs> being like, "Oh, my life is so boring and depressing." And you know, the five-year-old me would be very disappointed to know that this is all it turns out to. <laughs> You know, I wish I could just see a bit of the master plan and and know if it works out. And I kind of feel really lovely now, seven years later, looking back at that and wishing I could give past me a hug and be like, it does get better. Hang in mm. there, you know. Um, yeah. But yeah, you you have to build it. It doesn't just come. It mm. takes a lot of work, but it's it's well worth it. So how do you structure your days now in terms of making sure you get the words done, obviously balancing your client work as well? How does a typical day look for, for Meg Kelly? <laughs> Um, well, I have a toddler son now as well. Um, so that's derailed the past, past three or so <laughs> years. Um, but my day is pretty much, I get up, um, I wrangle the toddler and get him off to daycare. And then the first part of my day is always writing. It's really important for me to get the words down. Um, before I had my son, it, that was super easy because I just roll out of bed and See, this is another cool thing about this job. You just get to wear your dressing gown. <laughs> On, um, so, yeah, that, I don't get to do that anymore because I have to go to nursery. Um, but, yeah, I used to just roll out of bed and, and make words happen. And so I have to be a lot more structured now that I have the childcare aspect of it and, you know, being a wife and looking after the house and all the boring things that adults have to do. Um, but I always make sure that when I get home, the first thing I do is my words. And then in the afternoon, I do the other things, um, marketing, admin, my client work. That bleeds out into the evenings if it needs to. Um, and at the moment, I work four days a week, Monday to Thursday, and then Friday through Sunday is family time. And I, I don't get time to do work things then because I'm, I'm basically toddler wrangling or spending time with family. And at the moment, I'm really happy with that balance. Um, but it has taken a little while to, to shift into being okay with that. Um, I think we are so used to working hard and working all the time that any time not spent working, it's very challenging to justify, if that makes sense. Mm. Um, but I'm at the, at the point now where I have a work-life balance and I appreciate that I can't um, progress my career as fast as if I didn't have children and that's okay right now. Mm. So that's how I split my time right now. 
that's such a difficult thing that you're saying about work-life balance again um, and obviously I'm not trying to like push this back on me but I mean literally the same thing where the minute I I stop working you get this sort of gnawing guilt that you should be doing something at least to to be working I think that's one of the the I don't know how to rest I will Mm. absolutely admit that I yeah my biggest thing at the moment is training myself to rest no how are you approaching that Instagram or Facebook or anything um it's difficult I'm trying to be on my phone less which is also really 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 hard because it's always there and pinging and my Facebook is connected to all my lovely author friends and the business things that we do on Facebook and you know Instagram and email and all the things that I need to attend to and so I just try and set boundaries Um, I don't reply 99% of the time to client emails and things over the weekend I will only attend to sort of urgent business things if I absolutely have to Um, and in terms of trying to rest and relax, I make sure that I spend time with my husband on an evening, we watch TV, I'm making reading time every day, that's a priority for me, um, for so, so many years I have just not had time to read, and I've just worked, and now I've realised how much I've missed that, and how much reading ought to be a priority, um, I try and make time for socialising, uh, total introvert, so not as good as I ought to be at that, but it's just trying to do things that refill my creative well, refill my energy and just look after myself, you know, so it's the basic things like nutrition and getting enough sleep and things like that. So I I just really try and take care of myself, I guess, and prioritize, you know, if it's outside work hours, should I be doing it? Mm, Probably not. Yeah, self-discipline is something that's quite uh, yeah. difficult. Which particularly... is ironic that you need discipline mm. to relax. I know, that that's the worst part is you've got discipline yeah. within your work and then you do have the discipline, discipline outside yeah. particularly. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Yeah. But I, I think the problem with this work is it is all-encompassing. Mm-hmm. It's just I can't not think about it. It's compelling. I just can't not. <laughs> so it's really hard to switch off and especially when you are the business. Mm-hmm. That's it. The book stops with you and if you're not doing it, it doesn't get done you know if the ball gets dropped you've got to pick it up so it's really hard to separate and think well the ball's going to be fine for the next eight hours and I need to sleep now yeah yeah one of the things that um I absolutely loved when looking through your stuff and it was one of the things we spoke about uh, a little bit when we met up um a couple of weeks ago is you have a very strong brand behind your books and everything you do um (laughs) so pleased you said that (laughs) it's it's beautiful obviously um I'm going to assume that part of that is is lent by the fact that you've been uh, an illustrator for years. The fact that you've got a very keen design mm-hmm. eye, um, you yeah. do uh, book cover art, which we can go into a little bit as well. Yeah. Um, but what does it mean for you to create a strong brand, and why should authors consider their brand when creating their books? At what point should they consider the start considering their brand? Um, I don't think it's ever too early, to be honest, but. It's only something that I've really seriously started thinking about in probably only the last six months. Um, I I think part of it is a horse and cart, chicken and egg sort of situation. You kind of have to have the books to be able to create the brand, but equally it's worthwhile having the brand when you're creating the books. So for me, it's been, I've sort of done the initial, oh God, I've got to get content out, uh, figure out how to package it, uh, figure out how to market it. And then it's sort of, it's playing catch up almost um, with, oh, right, okay, understanding the business a little bit better, who my readers are, who I am, the stories and products that I'm trying to create, the experience, the emotional experience that I'm trying to give my readers, the associations they have with me. Branding is is quite a complex beast. Um, 
There are some really good resources I checked out, though, pertaining to author branding. So I can send those along to you for you to share um, in like podcast notes if you want. That'd be fantastic. Yeah, incredibly helpful for me. Just really coalescing what it means to have a brand as an author and how to apply that. Um, But it, it was... It was not something that I initially started out with, for sure. Um, But I've just completed my rebrand now and I've taken on board a lot of what I've thought about my brand and what I want to be and where I want to be, in addition to polling my readers. And they have been incredible in giving some really cool feedback. Um, Everything from word association with my brand. So, you know, dragons, intrigue, magic, fantasy typically come out quite strong, as you may imagine. to you know feelings and all sorts of things that they've told me they associate with me and my books and that's been really really awesome to to almost work with them um to define and refine my brand um but yeah it's been it's been really fun but I'm I'm really happy with the outcome but it's kind of scary because it's like okay (laughs) you're presenting an image of yourself to the world is this right because it's all about perception um so I definitely want to update my covers in 2020 just to make sure they're just sort of ticking that branding box quite nicely because, I've, nicely because I feel like right now they're sort of aligned but not quite perfectly with the brand that I have and want to perpetuate. If you're looking for the next best thing to invest in, try investing in your long-term health with Forward. Forward is intelligent medicine with a personal touch. Their doctors are dedicated to catching top killers like cancer and heart disease early, which could save you tens of thousands of dollars in the long run. So invest in a doctor that's invested in you. Visit GoForward.com to learn more about how Forward can help you manage your long-term health risks for one flat monthly fee. That's GoForward.com. I think that's the thing. When you look at um, particularly prolific authors and when they go through rebrands, I mean, every must be every five or six years Stephen King and Hodder and Stoughton will do a fresh paint on every single one of his books and obviously that creates almost like a collector's edition and, and mm-hmm. ties it all together updates it with with the modern world um one of the things that I like about uh, how you approach this was the fact that you involve the readers as well <coughs> excuse me yeah um oh I don't know my voice is going <coughs> so um the fact that you actually put it out there tried to find out what they thought of you tried to make sure that that yeah. connection between your readers and your books were was as strong as it can be because I think sometimes, mm-hmm. particularly with your working by yourself all the time, even though you interact with the readers, you sometimes take for granted that that can be something you leverage as well. How how did you actually find that interaction with them? Were there was it did they get the response that you were sort of looking for in that process? Um, yeah, there was there was some things that I expected, some things that I didn't, but I genuinely I love my readers. They are so so incredible and. It was only really when I was on maternity leave and I wasn't writing much and I wasn't trying to sell them anything. <laughs> and I was just trying to sort of keep in touch. You know, we were all bookworms and chat about the things that I as a bookworm liked. And we built this really great rapport. Um, I've migrated some of my newsletter subscribers to Facebook as well. So we have a little Facebook group, group we chat in there. Um and they've just become this really genuinely lovely bunch of people. And I'm really honoured that they care about my books and me. You know, they ask about my husband and my son and how we're doing. And, you know, they always wish me well. And they're just really, really supportive that it was completely natural to include them in this. Um, I mean, I write my stories for myself, sure. But I 
publish for them and it's to give them stories that they're going to enjoy so it's all about what I can give to them not what they can give to me if that makes sense so with that in mind it seemed obvious like why wouldn't I ask them what they want because I'm doing this for them at the end of the day and and that was really really great and, and it was very sweet that they appreciated being asked as well I got plenty of lovely feedback saying you know we really appreciate how honest you are and genuine and we appreciate that you ask us and you know it's nice to be involved and keep up the great work and it's just like oh I love you guys (laughs) (laughs) you're the best so I think readers are perhaps an underutilized um not resource I don't want to say resource that sounds like you're using them but Mm -hmm. they're just underutilized and they are a great great source of of support as an author in many different ways there's definitely a um an emphasis from people to try and accrue more readers as opposed to nurture the readers that they do have and there seems to be an ever-ending hunt for people to constantly be reaching to grow to reach to grow to reach to grow yeah um, I think I'm not at that point um yeah. I've, I've done the churn and burn of oh I need to get like 10k newsletter subscribers blah, blah, blah. <laughs> and now I really don't newsletter build which I know is really terrible and yes I know I should and I will as soon as I have more time to devote to that but genuinely, the, the thing that I've found that has been most pleasing as a person and has most helped my books has been that nurturing the relationship. It's, you know, it's not how many, it's how well do you know them? Mm. Do you have your favourites? <laughs> yeah, we, we, we hang out in my, my readers group and it's called the Dragon's Lair. So they're all my little book dragons. That's nice. That. <laughs> uh, we mentioned earlier a little bit about your your cover art you also do design covers for people yeah. as well um yeah. talk us a little bit about how you juggle that with the writing side of things and what kind of considerations you take when taking on clients for cover work um so with juggling the covers and the fiction um I just purely look at what client load I have on um, and what fiction projects I'm working on. So sometimes if I'm in a lull with the fiction, the client work steps up and that takes over. Or if I don't have that much client work on, um, the fiction takes over. So it's it's very organic. It's not a very set thing. It just changes according to my workload. Um, and when it comes to clients, the clients typically approach me um, and it's pretty much 90% word of mouth. So typically it's pretty much people who already know they want to work with me and they're vaguely in my author network anyway. So we usually end up working out pretty well. It's very, very rare that there's a relationship and it's a client that I haven't previously heard of and there's maybe some problems in communicating or anything like that. I think as long as you present yourself quite well to people and you know what you expect of that relationship and if they don't you can mentor them through what that relationship entails then it's a pretty problem free and, and fun relationship um, I love bringing the concepts to life it's just really fun I, I love that it's it's a different part of the brain to writing and um, so it's quite nice to stretch that muscle and work on projects that are not my own as well because you just get to work on such cool concepts that is <laughs> awesome and how did you get into the the cover design game and necessity so my books were not making money a few years ago and I it was the crunch time I need to make this work how do I make this work what are the skills or things can I make use of to earn money and cover design was was one of the things so I decided I was going to be a cover designer um, and my first covers were terrible um, but that I mean that's to be expected who, <laughs> who starts out drawing you know 
the Mona Lisa or something. So my first covers I sold for like $50 and they were terrible, but they helped me learn. Um, and then from there, I just built up my client list and I'd increase my prices. And now I'm sort of a, a pretty confident mid-range, mid-price level designer. Um, but yeah, that was just born of a need, an absolute need financially in the beginning. Do you have any resources for people who might be interested in doing their own covers or might find that they need to bootstrap in order to get their books off the ground? Um, sure. It's it's a difficult one because I would really caution people against doing their own book covers if they don't have the knowledge and the skill set to be able to do that because the book cover sells your book. If you have a crap cover, it will not sell, period. People will just not buy it. And And I learned that the hard way. I did my first book covers and sure, they were okay pieces of artwork, but they weren't good book covers. They weren't good at selling a book and that's what a book cover is it doesn't have to just be a pretty piece of art it has to communicate a lot of unspoken things to the reader to compel them to buy your book or even just to click on it so I would really counsel people against just thinking and assuming that you know they know what book cover design is and that they can do it there are plenty of resources online for people who who really do want to learn about book cover design and perhaps with within mind of doing their own. Um, I think from memory, Stuart Bache has a cover design for authors course and there are a couple of others rattling around, but I would definitely ask for recommendations within the community for resources on that. Um, I think there's quite a lot of unscrupulous resources out and about on any subject. Um, but generally I would say don't do it yourself hire a designer find someone who is in your genre who is really really good who is making book covers that are selling people's books and go hire them because the investment is absolutely worth it mm. something that um, I've been following as well the last couple of days is you're, you, you're involved in a fair few um, book giveaways where lots of people get their books together and you promote each other. Um, and you seem to be quite good at networking, finding the different people within your niche, um, yeah. <laughs> maintaining the quality of obviously your brand amongst the others that you're trying to push yes. your audience. Yeah. Um, how do you go about putting these collections together? What are the benefits of these? How do you, how do you get them to the right readers? Um, to be honest, it just, it just comes from refining. So in the early days, I would... I would promo with anyone. I really got around, <laughs> don't we all, you know? And it's it's only when you really learn who your readers are, what your brand is, that you hopefully understand um, how you should be reaching your readers and, and who you should be working with. So I'm pretty lucky that in the epic fantasy sphere, I have a couple of groups of really, really tight-knit authors. We're great friends. We talk all the time, every single day. And it just so happens that we all write in the same sub niche. So it's, you know, it's great. I know that these people write fantastic quality stories that are worthy of sharing with my readers because I don't want to ever send my readers something that is subpar um, because that's damaging to my brand. I only want to give them things that are good enough for them that they will enjoy. So it's really, really important to me to network with people whose work I know is of a really, really high quality. So I know that all these people that I network with write great stories. They have on-brand high-quality covers. They are lovely people. You know, their brands really, really complement my own and their books are something that my readers would enjoy and vice versa. And I've just found that by being a lot more discerning with who I promo with, it's, it's definitely helping me again, build that brand, build the strength of relationship with my readers, build their trust in, in me. If I say something that in my newsletter, for example, if I share something that I think they're going to enjoy, 
they'll take a punt on it because I've said it um, rather than me trying to just push everything down their throats and constantly sell them stuff even if it's not quite the right thing for them and I think that counts for a lot if you are very discerning with who you network with and who you promote with um, I think it, it brings good things back so it's quality over quantity right now yeah. all the time yeah I think that word trust is so 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 key because it's so yeah. you spend a lot of time building that trust and it's harder to build trust than it is to break it and I think there are a lot of people particularly going back to what we were talking about earlier with the newsletter building with just spamming to try and get those numbers up um I mean we've all done it we've all done it absolutely back in the day you could no one had (laughs) newsletters so people didn't mind getting them but now they're just everywhere yeah absolutely everywhere and Yeah. yeah like like we say trying to just get that uh trust between you guys and making sure that they know that everything that you're suggesting is of quality, I think is, is so, so key. And yeah. something that people it's it's should adding value for do. me. It's yeah. For me, it's always trying to add value to the reader. So I don't think about trying to sell them my books per se. I think it's really, really rare. Maybe when I have a new release, I might say, Oh, Hey, I've got this new release. You know, it's, it's there if you want it. Um, and usually I'll pretty much push that. Oh, and it's also free in KU. So you don't have to spend any money <laughs> on it kind of thing. Mm. Um, it's yeah. It, I think it's it's really hard sometimes when you're starting out because you think you've got to say bye 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 but actually it's very counterintuitive and I found that the most support comes from when I'm not trying to sell them things and when I'm trying to add value to them and think about things from their point of view um so that that's definitely how I pre- approach my communication with my readers it's, it's trying to add value to them what can I offer them that they will enjoy and if it suits them maybe I can try and sell something to them but only if it suits them you know i'm not trying to exploit them Mm. there's definitely a a large element of compassion and empathy and understanding of your readers your audience um what you're trying to achieve where where do you think that mentality came from for you because a lot of authors i have met and obviously i'm not i'm not naming them i'm not shaming anyone but i've met um authors that do drive the hard sell do just try and obviously write the words whack them out where does that kind of um mentality come from for you it's just the person that I am (laughs) I just I'm I'm you know wouldn't it be nice to write 10k a day and push out a book a month and all the rest of it but that's just that's just not me I I guess it's treat other people how you'd like to be treated and for me you know that's how I'd like to be treated I guess you know I, I approach things first as a reader um so you know when when I'm considering my readers feelings it's well I'm a reader too so what would I like you know and and it's about growing a community for me of, of like-minded people, people who like the same things that I like and, you know, the same experiences and emotional experiences that I like. And it's quite nice to think that, you know, I've drawn this little community together so far and, you know, growing slowly um, one by one of the people who want the same things that I do and, you know, don't want to be sold to in every email and want a little bit of you know, an emotional journey with every newsletter or want to be invested in my Facebook group, even though, you know, I'm not really posting like hundred dollar Amazon giveaway cards in there or anything, you know, <laughs> anything like that, that I know can be used and very successfully by some other authors. It's just not me. Um, I, I guess I just kind of show up and be myself and I'm very grateful that some people care. <laughs> One of the biggest lessons that uh, I preach about on podcasts that I go on when it comes to, um, the the other stories podcast which i run we've got quite a big audience for that is the number one key that i found was um consistency and setting the expectations so people know what they're going to get and they get it regularly mm-hmm. is that something that you've yeah. sort of instilled from the beginning as well 
Yep, absolutely. So I've sent weekly emails since January 2017 now. Nice. Um, and this year I've actually just switched to two weekly because I don't want to bombard people. Um, so I appreciate that everyone's email inboxes are full and I don't want to have to scramble for content every week. I've stopped doing 99% of newsletter swaps. Again, it's about the content and the quality of that and making sure that I'm adding value to the reader instead of just spamming them with loads of crap that they're already getting from 25 other authors that day. Um, so I, I figured that I just I don't have the content to send weekly and I'm not going to spam them. Um, so it's just being really deliberate about that for me. Um, and I'm just, yeah, just trying to add value. But yeah, I do set expectations. You know, I've started working on full price pre-orders and I'm, I don't really run price promotions and things like that. So I, I mean, I guess it's working um, in that readers kind of know what they're getting from me and I just keep doing the same thing and they stick around. So I'm very grateful for that. Nice. <laughs> um, you mentioned earlier that you are a, I'd say, relatively new mum. So obviously, congratulations yeah. there. Uh, have you yeah. found any way that your being a new mother has influenced your writing in any way at all? Has it affected the, the stories that you tell? Anything oh, to do God, with the yes. actual content of your writing? Yes. <laughs> oh God, yes. How <laughs> so? Um, I guess I have stopped being so naive so the first series that I wrote was a very sort of noble bright coming of age fantasy it's all clean and idealistic and the good guys win and you know the bad guys don't and it's all very lovely and and all the rest of it they don't really suffer and yeah that's just not real (laughs) is it and (laughs) I guess motherhood has taught me a lot about what what humanity is um to, to be a human and um yeah i don't know it's it's changed me profoundly for the better but it has been trial by fire shall we say um so i have used my writing to purge a lot of that from me and it's kind of worked out well because the series that i've written since becoming a mother has done amazingly like Fantastic. people love it they love that i torture my characters and <laughs> frankly I am never having as much fun as when I am doing really mean things to them. It is so, (laughs) so much fun. So yeah, it's taught me definitely a lot more about being human, which I think helps me to be a better writer for sure. So yeah, it's, it's definitely been hard, but it's definitely been obviously worthwhile. I've got Mm. my beautiful son, but it's really, really helped me to become a better writer. More well-rounded. Yes. There's definitely a, uh, another side of the coin. I'm, I'm similar. Obviously, my, my son is five. And uh, particularly the first few years that he was born um, was actually the time that I started writing and getting into it. And I think part of that was, number one, to role model the behavior and the possibility that obviously dreams could come true. And there was all that kind of like lovely side of it. And then the other side was that escapism. And obviously, I yeah. went into horror. So take from that what you will. <laughs> um, <laughs> but I do find now that there is a certain element of being able to pluck the nerves a bit tighter because you know what that kind of raw emotion is because being a parent you really spin from uh happiness to anger to despair like like, just literally just so quickly it's it's just a whole kaleidoscape of uh of stuff um and yeah yeah, i know that it's definitely for, for my own it's made a lot of the the darker scenes more raw and the lighter scenes a lot more loving and true to what 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 life would be yeah, I completely agree. That's a really good way to put it. Mm. Yeah. Um, what's sort of ahead for you? Obviously, we've spoken a lot about what you've 
been doing in the past, the the current state of how you work. What's the future look like for Meg? What are you currently working on in terms of your fiction? Uh, so I've just, uh, last week I finished drafting book four in my second epic fantasy series. That's the final book. So uh, editing that right now, God, send help and booze and talk booze. I'm kidding, it's actually not that bad. <laughs> um, but yeah, once that's done, I am straight into my next project. So I'm toying with actually writing two series this year. Nice. And alternating books between them. Um, so they're both set in my current world. So I've decided that the sensible thing for me to do is to keep writing in the same world because that will increase reader crossover um, between the series. Um, but I've got two really cool ideas and I kind of can't put either of them down. And previously I've never written two things at once because for me that seems stupid because I'm just going to get bored of one thing or just kind of get out of the think of doing one thing but these two ideas are really really taking me one of them is <laughs> one of them is like a lighter epic fantasy and one of them is a darker epic fantasy so I feel like it's that Ooh. maybe being a parent sort of learning a lot about yourself as a person and you know this one light series will express one part of my personality and the darker one will express a different side so but I feel like they're going to be a really fun um, partnership of projects to work on at the same time so I may be entirely insane but I'm going to give it a go and see what happens there and other than that just you know being me trying to be the best person I can trying to raise my son and trying to manage all the things it's just a few That's things <laughs> low expectations yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah exactly I think it's like 2020 I want is 2020 I really want to to be my year of having no limits it's actually going to be the first year of being a full-time well I mean four days a week so as close to a full-time author as I've been ever um you know for the past three years I've been distracted by growing a child having a child raising a child you know <laughs> there's, a, there's a common theme here and yeah. now he's at daycare four days a week I have four days a week to write that's incredible so I feel like 2020 is going to be the year of really showing what I can do and just pushing the limits and trying everything. I'm very excited to watch that journey. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Okay, so we are at the end of the my questioning section and uh, I have a few questions from my patrons who have sent them over at patreon.com forward slash great writer share. They're not not that scary, (laughs) don't worry. Uh, And the first one is from Mark McClure who says, how much research do your books require and how do you do that research? For example, while writing as issues occur or before a word is even written? Um, So I write fantasy, so I get to make up a lot um my world is already established so I've done quite a lot of the research already in terms of making sure that you know the magic systems will work as according to sort of physical and scientific laws um you know culture research I do quite a lot of it as it comes up um but at the moment I'm doing a lot more in editing so I will just try and get the draft down and fix it later but um, that that comes really with the luxury of having the world already built and a lot of the research is already done. A lot of the you know civilization is already set up and the world is set up. So I typically don't do much research, um, but I think a lot of that is just because I get to write fantasy and I can pretty much just make it up, which is great. <laughs> Yeah, I was going to say is that a big component of it, yeah. the fact that... Re- is... Really sorry about that. I don't, I don't think I'm actually <laughs> going to be that useful because just make it up. <laughs> I think I'll just put a dragon in there. Great. That solves mm. that. <laughs> I, I don't envy people who write sort of hard sci-fi who need their facts oh, straight to need all the maths and everything correct. I don't, I don't envy that yeah. side of stuff. Sorry if you're a, no. a hard sci-fi fan listening, but that's definitely not my bag. <laughs> yeah, you are incredible and I could not do it. 
hats mm-hmm. off. <laughs> yeah. Uh, what is your top productivity tip? Oh, um, for me, oh gosh, I'm a planner, but I know planning and pantsing are two different things. So I would probably say um, routine. Routine is really key for me, but that includes location as well and the senses. So it's not just about the time. It's where are you? You know, what have you got surrounding yourself? So for me, I write in the mornings. It has to be in a light, airy space in a certain comfy place. Um, I love writing in my bed this week, but other (laughs) than that, I have a really comfy chair. There's blankets, there's tea to drink there's a nice candle to smell it's about evoking that whole sensory experience and you're programming your body ah this is writing time when all these things align it's time to write so for me that's huge it's kind of getting in the zone but it's manufacturing that you know i don't wait for the muse the muse has got to come whether she likes it or not i will drag her kicking and screaming with lavender scented candles (laughs) (laughs) i'm so gonna find a way (laughs) i'm gonna find a place for that coat that quote somewhere because that was incredible uh okay uh next question what would your profession be if you weren't a writer or if writing wasn't an option artist literally this is black this is black and white it's just what i want to do there's no other option period create just can't do anything else yeah just make stuff fantastic cool so now we are going to go into the quick fire round the dreaded oh, quick fire round <laughs> terrible stuff like this ah. so 10 questions i'm okay. going to throw at you as quickly as possible oh, Try and respond. This is like a high stress situation. It is. Uh, I do have one trying to catch you out, so we'll see how that goes. Um, <laughs> I'm sorry. It's because we you. were friends. We we were. <laughs> uh, <laughs> we were Aww. friends to get you on the podcast. I'm joking. I love you. Um, but yeah, if you want to say pass at any questions, then obviously feel free. That's absolutely fine. Uh, but are okay. you ready? Go on. Gandalf or Dumbledore? Oh, Gandalf. What's your best ever fantasy TV show or film? Mm, I'm loving The Witcher now, but that is totally Geralt of Rivia based because, oh my God, he's so swoony. Ah. <laughs> what would your animal familiar be? Uh, oh, cat. What's the most impressive meal you've ever cooked? Um, oh God, cook everything. Probably my cheat Sunday dinner. I make a full Sunday dinner in 35 minutes when I can't be bothered cooking and it's just amazing. Well, we're going to talk off camera. Uh, yeah. <laughs> what, who was the last writer to make you cry? Do you know what? I don't think probably anyone's made me cry since J.K. Rowling and um, mm. Dobby. Because, oh, man. Oh man. <laughs> Genuinely, no one's affected me that much since. Sorry. Fair. Uh, what's one book you've recommended more than all other books? Oh, um, that is absolutely the Venetrix Chronicles series by Sylvia Mercedes. Top series read of 2019. Absolutely flipping amazing. If you love original magic series, uh, original magic systems kick-ass heroines and just the most vivid descriptions you need to read that series it's incredible which shoe do you usually put on first your left or your right at left if you could bring one imaginary creature to life what would it be dragon come on who do you like the most jet or pixie (laughs) jet because he loves me (laughs) pixie just loves me for food (laughs) Uh, if you had to choose one single book of your own to survive an apocalypse which destroys all the others which one book would you choose the one, one of that I've written. One that you've written. Order of Valtzeron. So that is the third book in my current series of the series that I'm just wrapping up. Nice. It's the one that I wrote through all the angst. So mm. it just has all the good feels. 
Beautiful. And that's 10 questions. So the final oh, yeah. bonus question is where can our listeners find out about you and everything that you're working on? Uh, okay. So my website is megcowley.com. Um, you can find me on Instagram at meg underscore Cowley and on my Amazon author page. Um, my newsletter, I send out bi-weekly and you can sign up on my website. So pretty much newsletter or Instagram, that's where I hang out. Beautiful. Well, thank you so much for coming on. This has been a, an interview that's been a long time in the in the making. So I appreciate you taking <laughs> yeah. the time to jump on. Oh, it's lovely to chat. And uh, we need a pizza date soon. We'll sort out another pizza date soon. Um, <laughs> and thank you everyone for listening and I will see you next week. Thanks for listening to this week's episode of the Great Writer Share podcast. Next week, I'll be joined by lit RPG author, John L. Monk. Don't forget you can get early access to every episode of the Great Writer Share podcast and the chance to ask upcoming guests any of your questions just by becoming a patron of the show. All you need to do is visit www.patreon.com forward slash greatwritersshare and support the show for as little as $1 a month. One more time, that's www.patreon.com forward slash greatwritersshare. Until next time. Acast powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. Hey, y'all, this is Kenya, creative director and co-founder of Domino Sound. And this is Alexandra De Palma, executive producer and co-founder of Domino Sound. And we're a queer, disabled, Black woman-owned podcast production company and network, creating authentic, inclusive, provocative content. We just launched Domino Presents, which is a new series of special audio projects. The premiere episode features the founders of Poppy Juice, the queer art collective throwing the hottest parties in New York City and around the world. We also recommend The Cheat Code, our hit 10-episode audio soap opera surrounding a love affair. Think love and hip-hop meets The Affair meets The Sopranos. Follow us on IG at dominosoundco to keep up. And listen to our shows on the ACAST app or wherever you get your podcasts. Just search Domino Sound. ACAST, 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 ACAST recommends. recommends.